From two sides now chaos enclosed the east, and the four men left the fortress of evening, knowing it was unlikely it would survive. They rode across the waters to the mainland to discover that garrisons were abandoned, as men fled away from the dreadful threat of chaos. It was not until a day later that they came upon the first survivors of the land fighting, many of them with bodies twisted into terrible shapes by the warping influence of chaos. Struggling along a white road leading towards Yadmar, the city still free. From them they learnt that half Ilmiora, parts of Vilmia, and the tiny independent kingdom of Org had all fallen. Chaos was closing in, and the stuff of its own weird cosmos was entering the earth, so that where their power was, the land heaved like the sea, or the sea flowed like lava. Mountains changed shape and trees sprouted ghastly blossoms never seen on earth before. All nature was unstable, and it could not be long until earth was wholly one with the realm of chaos. Elric was relieved to find Karlark still free from attack, but reports placed the chaos army less than 200 miles away and coming nearer. Saradzinia greeted him with troubled joy. There were rumours you were dead, killed in the sea battle. It cannot stay long. I have to go beyond the sighing desert, and you too must leave here. The evacuation of the city has already been ordered. We flee to the weeping waste. Even Jagreen Lurn can have scant interest in those barons. Perhaps, at least you will be safer there. If I'm lucky, I may be able to turn Jagreen Lurn back in time. He told her of his mission. You need some defence, she agreed, for mortals not under Jagreen Lurn's protection are terribly altered by chaos. Air, fire, water and earth all become unstable, for they are not only tampering with the lives and souls of men, but with the very constituents of the planet itself. So I shall seek the shield, and we shall both have its protection. I hope so, my lord. You sound sad. Gods, all of you ooze sorrow. But I am optimistic, Zaratzinia. He took her hands, smiling with a desperate gaiety. Come share my optimism. She tried to laugh, but there were tears in her eyes. He looked at her with sudden compassion. She was still only a girl, for all her sensuous lips and loving skills. I owe you much, my love. He said softly. My happy hours have been few, but they have all been with you. Fear not, perhaps our destiny will be joyous. She pressed herself against him. No, my lord, our only destiny is death. He tried to calm her sobbing with kisses, and she responded. So they made love, and when they slept their dreams were full of dark portent, and they clung together until the dawn, neither able to conquer the inner knowledge of forthcoming torment. In the morning he arose and clad himself in Malnabonean war regalia, with a breastplate of shiny black metal, a high-collared jerkin of quilted black velvet, 
black leather breeks covered to the knee by his boots, also of black leather. Over his back was pushed a cloak of deep red, and on one thin white finger was the ring of kings, a single rare Akatorios stone set in silver. His long white hair hung loose down to his shoulders, held by a bronze circlet. Stormbringer was at his hip, and upon the table was a tapering black helm, engraved with old runes. Its crown gradually rising into a spoke, standing almost two feet from the base. At this base, dominating the islets, was a replica of a spread-winged dragon with gaping snout. A reminder that, as emperors of the Bright Empire, his ancestors had been dragon masters, and that perhaps the dragons of Malnibane still slept in their underground caverns. Now he picked up this helm and fitted it over his head, only his red eyes gleaming from its shadows. Saracenia was already dressed in a skirt and bodice of cloth of gold, with a long black-trimmed cloak of silver spreading to the floor. She handed him a dish of herb-flavoured fruit, and he pushed back the wings of his helmet and began to eat. You are clad as if for a great battle, my lord. Aye, you tried to smile. If you spoke truth last night, then we'd both best be dressed in the funeral red, eh? He put down the dish and gripped her tightly, desperately, as a man might cling to the memory of happiness. Come, I must make haste to the stables. Below in the courtyard, his three companions were already mounted. He swung himself into the high saddle of his own Nechrean steed and blew a kiss to his wife. I'll seek you out in the weeping waste and prove my optimism founded. Farewell. They rode away from Karl Ark's walls. In a short while they had entered the weeping waste, for this was the quickest route to the sighing desert. Rakir alone knew this country well and he guided them. On his back were his bow and quiver of arrows of law, given him some years previously by the sorcerer Lamsar at the time of the siege of Tanelon. The Nehraean steeds, treading the ground of their own strange plain, moved at incredible speed. In this place of eternal rain, the land was difficult to see far ahead, but at last, after two days, they could observe tall crags and knew that they were near the borders of the desert. Soon they were riding through the deep gorges, and the rain ceased, until on the third day, the breeze became warm, and then harsh and hot as they left the mountains and entered the desert. The sun blazed down, and the wind soughed constantly over the barren land and rocks. Resting for only a few hours at a time, Rakir directing them, they sped further and further into the depths of the vast desert, speaking little for it was difficult to be heard over the wind. Alric was finding it hard to retain any objective impression of his predicament. He felt hollow, and had long since ceased his attempt to understand his own ambivalent nature. He had always been a slave to his own melancholic emotions, his physical failings, and to the very blood flowing in his veins. Unlike others, he saw life not as a consistent pattern, but as a series of random events. He found it hard to sympathise with the forces of law, and he wondered if control of himself was worth permanent achievement. 
Better to live by instinct than to theorise and be wrong. Better to remain a puppet, letting the gods move him at their pleasure, than to seek control of his own fate, clash with the will of the higher worlds and perish for his pains. He was the last of an inbred line, who had without effort used chaos-given sorcery for convenience, and for no other purpose. They had no need for self-control, or the self-restrictions of the newer races. But self-control was now forced upon him as his sorcery weakened. Yes, why bother to sharpen his wits or put his mind in order? He was little more than a sacrifice on the altar of destiny. He breathed deeply of the hot, dry air and expelled it from his stinging lungs, spitting out the clogging sand which had entered his mouth and nostrils. Peering through the sand-filled air, he saw something looming ahead. A single mountain rising from the wastes of the desert, as if placed there by unnatural means. He roused himself then. We're there, he called, pointing. Let us rest here before we ride the final distance. <laughs>